Greetings, Grapple fans, and welcome to another edition of the Meltzer Five Starathon. For let me tell you something, as your co-host Lorca Mullen and your other co-host Simon Cross discuss every match that Dave Meltzer has rated five stars or higher. And just as last week's and in the series of matches a couple of minutes earlier's match between Kotribushi and Minoru Suzuki was. This is also a five and a quarter star match in the eyes of Dave Meltzer. So, Simon, what other G1 Climax contest are we going to be discussing tonight? We are looking at Kazuchika Okada taking on Shingo Takagi in a first-time singles meeting between the two. The man who was for the longest time the ace of Dragon Gate, taking on the man that has been for at least five years, I guess, at this point, the ace of New Japan, for all intents and purposes. And that's where I kind of come to this match as far as, again, trying to find some sort of anchor for this discussion to be based on, at least in my eyes. The analogy I'll say now for wrestling Kazuchika Okada in a G1 match is that it's like when when a team like Juventus were relegated to Serie B or something, or when... Rangers were closed down and then... Sent down like three divisions. And the cliche was when Villa were in the championship or Newcastle were in the championship. The cliche was, for every other team, this is their cup final. Yeah. And the, to face Kazuchika Okada either in a G1 Climax match or, or a Wrestle Kingdom match is in many ways, that is everyone except Okada's cup final. So the whole notion that not only is Okada the best in the business, even without the belt, still I think the the sense is that he still is the true ace of the promotion, like any time that Tanahashi didn't have the belt. It's also a case that he has to face people who are also at their best, Mm -hmm. that they bring themselves up to a standard in order to meet Okada. So almost like his reputation forces him to go even further. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I imagine whenever anyone plays Ronnie O'Sullivan in the snooker or something, they feel like they've got to be at their best, or they play. Or like in the Tiger Woods in the heyday, Mike Tyson in his heyday. Yeah, Mike Tyson's probably a better example because it's it, it's a one-on-one competition. But the thing with that is that's always going to be for the belt, really. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. Sort of. But also to continue the Ronnie O'Sullivan analogy, because one thing that Okada does here is something that O'Sullivan sometimes does. (laughs) He's given himself a deliberate handicap. So for a while, Ronnie would do a thing where he'd just try and play a game left-handed or something. Yeah. Or there was one time where he just did a break that was entirely reds and pinks. Like he did 10 reds and 10 pinks or something crazy like that. The story of the tournament for Okada is that not only is he trying to win the G1 like you always do and get that Wrestle Kingdom title shot and win back the belt that he lost to the previous Wrestle Kingdom and, again, truly not have any disputes as to his ace status, he's doing it with essentially tying his hand behind his back <laughs> because he wants to not win a match 
with the Rainmaker. And at this point, every match that he's won, he's won without the Rainmaker. He's either won with his new money clip submission or in a different way, like he beat Suzuki with that cradle that he used to beat Kenny Omega in the first fall of their two out of three falls match that he also used to beat Chris Jericho at a Dominion show. It's like his little perfect pinning combination that often wins in matches. And that it's like he he's deliberately setting himself a new challenge to exceed himself yet again. Whilst also facing a guy for whom this is like, you know, this is what he's built up for. This is many years of anticipation for him. And so what, I mean, what are you, what are your feelings of the money clip? It's the biggest sore point of contention for Okada since he switched to tights for a year. He knows what he's doing with it. He knows he's caught in controversy and like getting still people to talk about him. As a move, it's fine. But the trouble is with Okada is his nickname is Rainmaker. Yeah, he doesn't even do the Rainmaker pose in this match. It's Takagi that does it at one point. Takagi's very vocal in this match. Early doors, like, there's a bit where he gets the rope break and he just, like, starts <laughs> nagging red shoes. Like, rope, rope. Which I, I, I like to... Trying to use all the tools available to him. Yeah. Well, he's obviously, even though he's considerably shorter than Okada, he's a powerhouse and he's constantly using that strength not only to beat up Okada and, and overpower him, but also to put the full force behind, like, shoulder block tackles. And, and he like, he's making his presence known to Okada early on because it does follow that traditional Okada format that a lot of people who are Okada detractors now say that you've got to just bear with it for the first <laughs> 15 minutes of an Okada match before you get to the good stuff at the end. Which I can see where they're coming from, but I think that's like what wrestling's kind of always been, really. Well, Ric Flair's had complaints of being formulaic, hasn't he? Yeah, well, Ric Flair's the guy that we most frequently compare Okada to, I suppose, in yeah. regards. But the thing about the money clip is, and he also had that with the Cobra Clutch, is that I don't think it's a f- hold that's necessarily easy to convey to an audience its pain on an opponent. Well, the money clip's not about pain. It, yeah, it's a choke move. Well, it's a sleep hold, essentially. Yeah. And it is a derivation of the Cobra Clutch, which was what he was originally doing. And now he's taking it so that he wrenches their arm behind it. And so the person is essentially choking themselves out in the mm. process. And I think one of the reasons why this is the match out of all the Okada matches that has been given the five-star rating this time is that I think that Takagi really does a fantastic job of making the money clip look deadly yeah. at the end of the match. Yeah, yes, true. Like, I've never seen it sold quite so well. And in fairness, also, when Okada wrenches at it at that point, it does look properly painful at that mm. stage. But it's quite a complicated hold. I usually... I don't know that I could immediately lock it on myself. I usually love figuring out how submission holds work and always talking about how I genuinely think I can do the sharpshooter better than the rock. Yeah. And, you know, that which always really drove me crazy. It wasn't a point of pride. It was like there is nothing that are involving wrestling that I should be able to do better than the rock. Yeah. And yet there is one thing I can do. <laughs> it's quite hard to wrap your head around what he's doing I think in that hold yeah it's uh, you know what I think because a fair bit of it's obscured by the guy's like back of head mm. so yeah people can't get a good, good clean visual on it whereas an ankle lock you know exactly what's happening but yeah like I said uh, the story of this is always that Okada brings someone up to their level and I do like the Okada and I think again like Suzuki in the previous match Okada does thrive on that challenge yeah 
But instead of it being like Suzuki bringing someone to their up to them and making them wrestle his match with Okada, it's always like him trying to unpick the lock of his opponents. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Like how do I? How do I? He can weather everything that Shingo hits him with, and Shingo does literally hit him with everything. He hits him with all of his trademark moves eventually after Okada tries to evade them. Like, he hits him with the Noshigami at about the 15-minute point. He hits him with the Last of the Dragon, and then he hits him with the Pumping Bomber. He even hits him with the Rainmaker. Cheeky monkey. Well, I think it is probably like, well, if you're not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you know what? I think maybe, like, Shingo felt it affronted. Felt affronted, sorry. Use my English properly. That um, the Rainmaker wasn't being used on him? Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. It's now going to be a question of who gets the Rainmaker, which my personal prediction is that is how the Okada-Osprey-Wrestle Kingdom match ends, is my guess, that he dusts it off and, and beats Osprey with that mm-hmm. on either January the 4th or January the 5th. Well, it makes it a super finisher again. Yeah, that's true. After After all those times where... He was winning matches with the third or the fourth Rainmaker. It can be a bit of an absence, makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. And the jaw gets softer, perhaps. Exactly. Like, if it's used more sparingly, it has more shock value as well. Like It's like Meltzer was saying that when Okada was having that legendary two-year run with the title, he was saying that he really needs to win one of those matches in, like, 20 minutes. Otherwise, no one's going to believe it's over until it's over mm. now people can believe that an Okada match can finish without him hitting the Rainmaker. Yeah. Adds more jeopardy. Like I said, Okada always overwhelms his opponents at the start, and it's almost like now they're figuring out, okay, so this is what a match with Okada's like. Okay, I guess I've got to up my game in different ways. And it's yeah. also them finding those ways to, to combat all of his trademark moves. Like One of my favorite bits in this match is when Okada hits Takagi with the shotgun drop kick, But... It's not a no-seller. It's like those pop-up no-sells that they loved in all Japan. It's that case of Takagi, the momentum of the dropkick sends him back into like a backwards gambol and he lands on his feet and he's like, well, if I'm on my feet, I might as well hit him with my sliding lariat. And the shock in the face of Okada when he comes towards him after his way, I just gave you a shotgun dropkick. What's like, this? This shouldn't have be happening. Uh, it's a very good near fall as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's one of his trademark. Finishes, especially uh, which comes from like the Tomohiro Ishii style of wrestling that he does as well, and I think Ishii's probably won a match or two over Okada, maybe with a sliding lariat in the past. And you have those good moves that that turn the tide of the match. Like like I said at the start, when Okada's dominating him, it's not until Takagi's able to evade him, evade him, bring him to the outside, and quickly hit him with a DDT on the floor that Takagi's finally able to get a foothold in the match. And similarly, then after he's starts dominating Okada with his power moves and his hard shoulder tackles and the like targeting Okada's back and midsection. He's really good at utilising the outside of the ring. Like, that's very much where Okada looked comparatively quite out of depth at like one point in the match. Which is often not the case, that the outside of the ring, again, like Okada like with Ric Flair, it's that he can fight dirty. Yeah. And he does again turn the tie back in his favour when he hits his DDT to Takagi, but it's a step up because he does the draping DDT off of the apron. As opposed to the barrier where he normally does it. So it's like more of a kind of like shock one, a snap one. Yeah, but it's also trying to surprise him, like he might have anticipated it after he whipped him into the railings, but instead he takes him... In different places. Kind of like when um, CM Punk and the John Cena match where they'd hit their trademark moves but in a different order or in a different place. Like CM Punk hits his running knee yeah. 
when John Cena's leaning against the ropes, not when he's in the corner. The, the other one's got the other one scouted, so they're like, okay, I'm going to have to surprise you in order to hit the trademark move that you anticipate. I've just got to hit you with it in a different way. Yeah, approach from a different angle, exactly. And similarly, like like when Takagi's fighting out of the money clip, I love how the final finishing crunching move of it is that he's got it on and Takagi looks like he's powered out, so Okada turns it into a backbreaker whilst maintaining the control. Yeah. And again, it's that whole thing about maintaining risk control. At one point, Takagi's desperately trying to fight off the risk control, even though he knows that he's not he's not sure if he'll go for the Rainmaker. You still just don't want that guy to be holding onto your wrist. No, you don't want it <laughs> open, do you? Like... Yeah, but it is funny as well that they, they pointed out in commentary when they're both on the mat and, and Okada goes to get control. Kelly, Kevin Kelly makes the note. He hasn't grabbed him by the wrist. He's clasped him by the hand, so that means he's going for the money clip. Yeah. I don't get the hate so much, but I guess because it's a, like a, it is a version of a sleeper, that there is an 80s association with it, which maybe people aren't enjoying. I mean, it's not as egregious as the John Cena STF, but no. there are times where I don't think that... Maybe Okada's applying it technically well, but it's not necessarily grabbing the audience. It's not a visually stunning one. No, it's not a visually exciting submission hold to even look at. Like, even things like the ankle lock, like, that's memorable because I think we can all comprehend what's happening to that guy's ankle. Yeah. And we can comprehend what the pain is. Well, we've all twisted our ankles at one point. Most of us haven't been sent to sleep with a a chokehold. No, thankfully. uh, Fortunately, touch on, you know, touch wood. (laughs) Unless you've been in mixed martial arts fights. Yeah. So that's something that we can't empathise with necessarily. But then what? that's really down to the seller to put across what it's affecting you. And that is what Takagi does so well. Like The eyes start bugging out towards the end. Mm-hmm. Ishii is very good at that sort of stuff as well. Like the frothing of the mouth like to show they're, they're struggling to breathe. And you see that with Takagi as well. And also the desperation within him when he's trying to fight out and he's grabbing at Okada's hair and red shoes is having to take his hands off. It's like he's desperate to escape because he's gasping for breath, which I think, you know, we've probably all been in something along those lines. Yeah. We had to, you know, might got st- something stuck in our windpipe or something. So maybe that's something you can relate to in, in that way. And when he grabs Red Shoes' shirt to, like, stop him from like, ringing the bell. I loved that bit. That was great work from Red Shoes and Takagi together to make that a really uh, exciting moment. And, the, and it's setting it up and, and showing that Red Shoes is alert and ready to ring the bell, which is what he ends up doing at the end. I enjoyed the match a lot. I think they both brought what they needed to. Takagi showed his strength and power and his will to win. And, and, and you do get the sense that he is wrestling at his top level, but it's not quite enough to get to Okada's level. But maybe like his Losinga Benables teammate, Sonada, maybe two or three matches down the line against Okada, he'll be out. He'll get a win. He'll he'll be up to that level. And Okada knows that he's got a new potential rival in his midst. You know, because Takagi hasn't had... I think he's finished both G1s with six points. So it's three wins and six losses. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next one he he gets up to eight, maybe even ten points. And like how Sonada reached his first final this time, maybe his only final. I wouldn't be surprised if, if by G1 Climax 33, we could see Shingo Takagi in the final, maybe even opposite Kazuchika Okada. Yeah? I mean, that would be a good payoff. Yeah, I like this match a lot. Not quite enough to give it five stars. I think I am maybe increasingly being affected by the negative press. <laughs> the, the first 15 minutes of the match maybe isn't good enough to warrant it 
But it's still, again, very, very good. I wouldn't put it... I don't think I was as entertained as the Ibushi-Suzuki match because that was such a unique proposition. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. Whereas with this one... It's basically slotting Takagi's moves into a, an Okada match. Yeah. A, which, a very good Okada match. It, it's fine, it's there, it's great. It's just not five stars, basically. No, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. So, either next week you'll be hearing us talk another five-star match. But if not, then it will be one more match of the week, which would be Big Van Vader against Kijimuto. In the first ever G1 Climax, so 30 years after this one, or 29 years after this one. Whatever it is you're going to get, you'll get it this time next week. And in the meantime, how can people get in touch with us both, Simon, to talk to us about this match or whatever it is they want to talk about? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of times uh, Shingo Takagi smashed Kazuchika Okada into like another planet. My name's Lorca Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for application N for necktie. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. You can get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. And you can make a donation to us on our Patreon if you go to patreon.com slash lmtyspod. But there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and a quarter star time. Until the next time. Hide up the darkness. Here to make your rain like a comet. 